We're continuing to look at the the book of Acts, um, getting close to the end now. Uh, Today's reading is from Acts chapter 27. That's one chapter before chapter 28, which is the last chapter. Acts chapter 27, uh, and I'm reading the final one-third or so of that chapter, uh, starting at verse 27 and reading to the end. So Acts chapter 27, verses 27 to 44. When the fourteenth night had come, as we were drifting across the sea at Adria, about midnight the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they sounded and found twenty fathoms. A little further on they sounded again and found fifteen fathoms. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let out four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the boat and let it go. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day. That you, that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore I urge you to take some food. It will give you strength, since not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said this, he took bread, and giving thanks to God, in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they all were encouraged, ate some food themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. Now when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to bring the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea, at the same time loosening the ropes that tied the rudders. Then hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach. But striking a shoal, they ran the vessel aground. The bow stuck and remained immovable, and the stern was broken up by the surf. The soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their purpose. He ordered those who could swim to throw themselves overboard first and make for the land, and the rest on planks or pieces of the ship. And so it was that all escaped to land. Father God, we do thank you for the the words in this passage um, and for the um, unpacking of it that you've laid upon Debbie's heart for us this morning. Um, Father, we do pray that you, our Holy Spirit, will anoint her, um, that she will speak words that are clear and um, understandable easily to everyone here, Lord. Father, we pray that you will give Debbie and give all of us fresh revelations um, as to the meaning of this passage that are relevant for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you. Amen. We agree. It's just, it's so lovely to see everybody here this morning, even though we're missing our young people and uh, our youth leaders. Um, it's really great to see so many of you and to see lots of faces that we haven't seen for a little while as well. So just wanted to say that. It's good to be together, isn't it, in God's presence. And I was thinking about this passage. It's very relevant, isn't it? Because we're in the second half of the storm. David, if you were here last week, David unpacked for us brilliantly all of the ins and outs of the, uh, the sailing challenges that they had on this journey as Paul is making his way because God has commanded it, because God wants it to happen, because he's heard it from the Lord himself. Paul is making his way to Rome and he's going to stand before Caesar. And this is the journey that we're on. And all of a sudden, there has been this interruption, this ship, um, this storm. And in this part of the passage, a shipwreck. And I was thinking, well, it's pretty relevant because we've had some very stormy weather (laughs) over the last few days. So perhaps on Friday, all we needed to do was just sort of stand out in the buffeting wind. And we would get a little sense of some of the fear and horror of this story that we have before us this morning. It's easy, isn't it, to kind of turn it into a a, a storybook um, kind of fairy tale. But the truth is that Paul went through this terrible and terrifying experience. And he did it because he was on a journey for Jesus. And you and I, if we're on a journey with Jesus in our lives, then we're going to probably find that we hit some storms along the way. So our title for this morning, or the title that I've given, the message that I want to share with us over these next few minutes, is, Who are you in a crisis? Who are you in a crisis? And I'll let you think about that as we go on, and hopefully we'll unpack it a bit together. John chapter 16 and verse 33, Jesus says this, I have said these things to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have troubles, but be encouraged, I have overcome the world. Jesus' words there, a promise in fact, of Jesus, you will have troubles, (laughs) but be encouraged. I've overcome the world. It's probably not one of the promises of Jesus that we like to remember and, you know, pull out of the birthday bag verses or whatever. We don't want to think about these promises that Jesus makes to us, but nevertheless, it's an important one It's an important one for everyone who seeks to follow Jesus and go somewhere with him and who is seeking to grow and be transformed more and more and day by day into the image of Jesus. Because did you know that that is the destiny, that is the intention of God over every single one of our lives, is that we should day by day as we walk with him become more like him. And if we're going to do that, we're going to find that our journey, our pathway takes us through troubles, takes us through storms. And so Jesus promises you will find that in this world. But 
there's hope. Be encouraged because I've overcome the world. I think it's really significant that Jesus, in those verses, he starts with the fact that he is trying to prepare his disciples for what is to come. He says, I have said these things to you so that in me you may have peace. So he starts off, you know, this troubling promise. He starts off by saying, the reason I'm saying this to you is I want you to find a place of peace, whatever lies ahead. And when the troubles hit, when the crises happen around us, we can be a people who find a place of peace. And I know that you know that peace isn't just some kind of state of mind, like a sort of denial, pretending stuff's not happening, or a sort of shutting ourselves off from reality in some way. You know, the Hebrew concept of peace is this word, shalom. And shalom is a beautiful word. It really means it's to do with wholeness. It's to do with well-being. That's a word that we like to use a lot these days, don't we, Um, in society. But peace, it's not just the absence of uh, noise. Peace is a wholeness and a sense of well-being, the ability to thrive in the midst of some of these pressures and not just be the kinds of people who are always just hanging on just about by our fingernails or hanging on by a very thin thread. And I don't know if that's more how you feel when trouble hits you, the fingernails and the very thin thread. When there's a crisis and when the world gets turned upside down and when the storm hits and the wind is blowing and everything's going everywhere and everything's going everywhere externally in your circumstances and everything's going everywhere in your head and in your heart, when you start to feel trapped like these guys were on that boat. There was no way out. There was nothing they could do to um, get out of this trouble. When you feel like you've lost hope, do you find that underneath it all, that shalom comes kicking in? Or do you feel wrung out and stressed out and start to fall apart? Probably most of us feel the latter a lot of the time. But what I really want to say to all of us this morning, people of God, those who want to follow Jesus, did you know that Jesus wants to teach us? If we will let him, and if we'll listen to him, he wants to teach us how to handle the storms of life and how to be his people in the troubles of this world. We won't always get it right first time. We won't always get it right second time. There'll be a process, there'll be a transformation, there'll be a learning, but nevertheless, that is the journey of learning that Jesus wants us to be on. That we start to be people who carry with us shalom for the difficult things that we're going to face around us, who can be encouragers and peace bringers to others and people who bless others, who can teach us, Jesus wants to teach us how to be overcomers in the storm. And all of that, saying all of that, it's not to say, it's not to belittle the storms of life. And it's not to say that they're not real troubles that we face. Sometimes we face devastating situations and we're thrown all over the place by them. But this is Jesus and he is the one who has walked on the waves of the storm. He showed his disciples 
that he could do that in the most perilous moments of life. He walked through suffering and death for us as we've just been remembering at his table. And he's the one who will meet us in the middle of the waves. And he's the one who'll grab our hand and move us along and take us safely through to shore. And even more incredibly, and even more beautifully, this morning I want us to get into our hearts. He's the one who turns us into the kinds of people who can do that for others, who can come alongside others in the storm and grab them by the hand and encourage them and lead them on. In other words, he's the one who's making us more like Jesus. And I don't know about you this morning, but I know that I, I want to be more like Jesus. Because the world out there it really needs people who are, doesn't it? We need more people who shine out the beauty of who Jesus is and his character, especially when the crises hit. So that's why the question, who are you in a crisis? Who am I in a crisis? Maybe you only have to look back a little way um, recently to the last few months into the midst and the height of the pandemic that we've all been going through to find out some of the answers to that. And some of us might reflect um, that we come out quite favorably from that crisis and others may feel that we don't come out quite so favorably. For some, it was probably an experience of more of a crisis than it was for other people. We all had different experiences. But I wonder if some of these things, these reactions are familiar to you. Was there some denial out there? That can be how we respond in a crisis. Survival mode, that can be how we respond in a crisis. A kind of grim determination, um, which is a bit um, unpleasant for everybody else around us. A fatalistic kind of response. Oh, well, what happens will happen. Or are we the headless chicken type of responders who end up running around doing everything we can, but not really finding the right thing to do? Maybe there's a different response that you have in a crisis. But we're going to look at Paul's story today, this shipwreck moment in his journey. And we're going to see if we can see ourselves anywhere in the story because we have three sets of characters before us in this story. Did you notice them? We've got the prisoners who are on the boat. That's the people other than Paul. There were other prisoners on that boat. And verse 1 of chapter 27 tells us that there were other people on board who'd been arrested for different types of things um, and they were also being transported to Rome, presumably on their way for a trial or for a punishment of some kind. And then we have the sailors. That's the second group of people. The sailors of the boat, the ones who know all about seafaring and storms, the one with the ones with the knowledge, the ones with the skills. There's that group of people. And then we've got the soldiers, the Romans. And they're the ones who are meant to be in charge. They're the ones who are taking responsibility in this situation. So three groups of people, and then there's Paul. And Paul responds in this crisis in a category all of his own, as we'll see as we go through. But let's first of all just think about those three groups of people and see if we can see ourselves in any of them. First of all, the prisoners. 
In a way, we can probably think about the prisoners on the boat because we don't hear much from them. Um, We hear some things about them, but we don't hear much from them in the story. We can probably think about them as the kind of the victims of the circumstances, right? They are there completely against their will. They never wanted to get on this boat in the first place. They didn't want to be in the situation they are in in the first place. They're on their way to trials, perhaps on their way to punishment or even death. And they knew that the soldiers would think nothing of killing them if things were not going in the right direction or if they thought they were about to escape. They know that their lives are hanging on by a thread. They are totally at the mercy of the sea and the storm. What can they do about it? They're totally at the mercy of the soldiers. How can we fight against the Romans? So perhaps in that kind of situation... They just responded by thinking to themselves, well, what can we do? We're victims here. We're not the masters of our own destiny. Our fate is in other people's hands entirely. We're already defeated. So what's the point of trying to do anything at all? And I wonder if some of us find that kind of response in a crisis familiar, if we're honest. We recognize ourselves in that attitude. When trouble hits, we kind of remain passive and we say, well, there's nothing I can do. I've just got to let it roll all over me. And of course, the truth is that there are some circumstances that we can't change. And there are twists and turns in life that we do have to accept, that we have to come to terms with. But we don't have to stay in that victim mentality Because look at Paul. You see, he was a prisoner too, wasn't he? But he was no victim in that circumstance. What does Paul do? Paul stands up in that moment. And even though he can't do anything, he's in exactly the same boat, literally, as those other prisoners. Okay? He is under guard. He is there against his will. There's nothing, nobody wants to listen to him. Certainly, they haven't much up to this point in the story. But yet, in these crisis moments, Paul is someone who knows he's always got something to bring because he's got the life of Jesus inside of him. And he brings encouragement to the table. He brings encouragement. He can't do anything else. Perhaps they're chained up. Perhaps they're not being fed properly. Perhaps they're being mistreated by the Romans. They're in the middle of this storm. He can't do anything, can he? Yes, says Paul. I can bring encouragement to the people in this situation with me. And so we see him acting in that way. He helps everyone eat at the right moment. Did you notice that? He stands up and says, come on, guys, you haven't eaten for two weeks. You need to eat. What a lovely, hospitable, loving, pastoral heart that says, you know, I'm worried about you guys. You need to eat something. And in doing that and in praying over the food and in kind of gathering everyone on the ship together, he creates a oneness that wasn't there before amongst those three groups of people. Let's come together in this crisis, guys, and let's eat and let's pray. And let's thank God that we're still here at this point in the journey. 
We've seen earlier in the passage, Paul is someone who's been praying. He's been calling on God that that he will save the lives of those traveling with him. He already knows his life is safe because the Lord has told him that. But then he came back and said, okay, Lord, but I want this whole boat to come with me. I don't want any of those lives lost. Please, will you grant me to bring everyone safely with me to shore? And the Lord listens to him and says, yes, Paul, I'll grant you that. If everyone stays with you, you'll all come safely through. So Paul is a prayer for those people. He's listening to God for them. He's someone who brings encouragement, even in the middle of a crisis. And it reminded me of uh, this man that some of you may have heard of called Jose Henriquez. And he was one of those 33 Chilean miners, do you remember them, who were trapped underground when the mine collapsed over them back in 2010, it was. And they were all trapped, do you remember, 2,300 feet underground. I mean, the thought of that in itself is horrendous. That is a crisis, right? Um, In the heat and the stifling atmosphere and in the dark. And they were there for 69 days before they were able to be rescued. And this guy, Jose Henriquez, he was the oldest of the miners there. And they nicknamed him the pastor after they came out. He wasn't actually a pastor, but he was a man of God. And he was a lover of Jesus. And and, uh, when they were in there, trapped in that mine... Um, he set up a little kind of chapel area in the place that they were trapped in. And every morning he started to lead devotions from the Word of God. They didn't have a Bible, certainly not at first. So he was doing those from memory. He was bringing out verses that he had memorized, bringing devotions, leading them in worship, leading the miners in prayers, morning and evening, every single day of those 69 days while they were down there until they were rescued. And during that time, we're told that about 23 of the miners gave their lives to Jesus, which shows us that they were not already all Christians. They were not already necessarily well disposed to this worshipping atmosphere that was being created there. But somehow during that time, this guy, he brought that group together in the love and the encouragement of the Holy Spirit that he was releasing. And he kept up the morale amongst them. And he gave them day by day a sense of hope and encouragement. And even though they weren't all believers and they weren't all Christians, and not all of them became such even through that crisis, but his faith and his life in the power of the Holy Spirit kept them all going. And afterwards, it was said about them that it was, uh, people were astounded at the kind of the psychological state, how good it was um, for that group of people having gone through that situation. I'm sure they needed lots of help and lots of counselling afterwards, but they were amazed at how the morale had continued in that time. And a lot of them put it down to this guy and the way that he served them. His ability to spiritually gather people and spiritually encourage them, and spiritually strengthen them. And that's what Paul had here in this story. And I wanted to bring a story that maybe is familiar to you from, you know, from our times, from just a few years ago, because I want us to understand and know it is possible to find a place of shalom, even in the midst of a crisis like that. It's possible to be the kind of person, if you're full of Jesus, that can bring people encouragement in those dark, dark moments. 
And Paul had that here in this story. He brought the prisoners, the sailors and the soldiers together to pray and to give thanks to God. And I believe that his ability came from the same source as the ability of Jose Enriquez too, don't you? It came from Jesus. And it sounds like Jesus. And you may not be able to change anything at all about the trouble you are in, about the crisis that you are facing, but you don't have to have victim mentality. With Jesus' help, you can bring encouragement by the Holy Spirit. But maybe, maybe that's not you anyway. Maybe those prisoners and their reactions, maybe that's not how you respond in a crisis anyway. Maybe you're not reacting like a powerless prisoner in a crisis. Maybe you're more like the sailors. Let's think about them for a minute or two. The sailors in this story, they are the ones with the knowledge and the skills in this particular crisis. And it seems to me that they go into what I'm calling survival mode. And maybe that's how some of us are in these kind of situations. You know, because, I mean, you can forgive them really because these sailors, they knew enough about this situation to be really worried, didn't they? They understood They understood what was going on, perhaps better than anybody else on the boat. And they knew when it was time to give up hope, humanly speaking. They're the kind of the realists and the pragmatists. They're the kind of cut your losses and get out with what you can types. They're the save yourself because that's all you can do. I'm sad about the other people, perhaps, but at the end of the day... We've got to look after ourselves, mate. And therefore, they're ready to jump into that lifeboat, aren't they? And sail off and leave the rest of the prisoners and the soldiers to their fate. They knew what was going to happen. They were ready to jump ship at that moment. And you know, that kind of response is often how we come to a crisis. Perhaps we wouldn't like to admit it to ourselves, but lots of us, we kind of click in, don't we, to survival mode. And our world and our perspective suddenly becomes very narrow and very focused in. And all we can think about is doing what we've got to do to get through. And we start to shut out, perhaps, everything else and everyone else around us because we just can't think about them. I've just got to focus on myself. It's understandable, isn't it? Maybe we don't go to the extremes of leaving others to drown, like these sailors were trying to do, but we do the same kind of things, don't we? We isolate ourselves in a crisis. We cut off anything that feels like an added weight in those moments, an added pressure. We just don't want to know. But look at Paul. Because actually, Paul, he had the sailor's knowledge too, as David was telling us um, last week, reminding us that Paul was actually a very experienced seaman in many ways. But he didn't just use all of his knowledge and his understanding and his skills to kind of look after himself and benefit himself. He brought his wisdom to bear for everybody. So Paul, in this crisis, he can bring encouragement, as we've seen, but he can also bring wisdom. Now, we know that Paul knew that they shouldn't have set sail from Crete 
in the first place. He said that last few, a few verses ago, last passage when we read it. He also knew that they were going to run aground on a certain island. He also knew that they needed those sailors. And that's why he spoke up in the moment when it says that the sailors were planning to jump into the lifeboat and go off and save themselves. Paul speaks up to the centurion in that moment. Probably it was partly because God had said, we're going to save you all together. If you want to be saved, you need to stick together. But also on a very practical level, those sailors are needed towards the end of this story. They're needed to guide that boat. Remember how it says that they had to guide it so that it would run aground in just the right place, as near to the shore as possible. They needed the sailors' expertise to do that. And Paul knew that if they went, practically speaking, the soldiers wouldn't know what to do, how to handle and manage that ship and run it aground in the right place. Paul had loads of wisdom, loads of knowledge, loads of understanding. And at the right moments, he spoke up and he brought it to the table. He got his wisdom from heaven, ultimately, and also from his own experiences in life. But he applied it for everyone. He wasn't just thinking about himself. He was being a team player. And he was saying to everybody, it's not just every man for himself. We're in this together And the wisdom from heaven is going to guide us and bring us through. It reminded me as I was thinking about that response of all of those incredible doctors and nurses and care workers in the NHS who have, you know, through the height of the pandemic, have stayed over in hotels um, to keep their families safe while they were keeping on working, using their knowledge, using their skills to help people who were sick, to help people who were frightened, particularly in the early days when people didn't understand fully what was going on, didn't understand the full impact. But there were people who made incredible sacrifices and brought their skills and their knowledge and their abilities to the table. There were many who came back to work, weren't there? after retiring, after moving on from their work in the health service. But they came back and poured out their efforts because they recognized, you know, we're in this together. There were those who ran off and hid. And then there were those who came forward and said, I'm going to bring whatever I can because we're in this together. And even though some of those people were in high-risk categories themselves, people who'd retired um, and they were vulnerable, but they wanted to do their part to aid the effort against that disease. And that kind of sacrificial desire to just bring their understanding, their expertise, their abilities into the mix, it reminds me of Paul in this story. You know, he could have said, couldn't he? Well, God's told me that I'm going to be fine and I'm going to get through this, so bad luck on the others. He could have said that, could have let them face whatever fate they were going to face. But he wasn't satisfied with that. And we're told that he prayed for those people until he got God's assurance that all who were with him would also be saved. And he acted with that heavenly wisdom to help that to happen. And that kind of mindset, doesn't that just sound like Jesus? Not using his power, his knowledge, his abilities to serve himself. Doesn't that remind us of when Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness? And he said, Jesus, you're hungry. Turn these stones into bread. Serve yourself with your power. And Jesus said, no, no, no. 
And then Satan said, just throw yourself off this high place and and call on the angels to come and catch you. You can do that. You've got the power. And Jesus said, no. He refused to just use his power to serve himself. He used it to save and to bless and to heal others. And we can be, we can grow to be more and more and more like Jesus in this respect. When we hit a crisis, if we will start to ask him to help us, Lord, I feel like going into survival mode. I just want to shut down and shut everybody else out and let them deal with their own issues and I'll deal with mine. We can start to say to the Lord, Lord, help me in this moment because I want to be the sort of person who thinks beyond myself in this moment. I want to be the sort of person who recognizes that you've got a bigger picture that you want me to be involved in. Help me to see what it is that I can do. It may not be as grand and as impactful as it looks like other people can bring their knowledge, their strength, their gifts. It may feel, it's feel like a very tiny thing, but we can start to come to the Lord and say, Lord, help me to be someone who looks outward, who brings wisdom from heaven that will bless everybody. There's always something like that that we can bring. But last thing I want to say before we close, because maybe we're not like those sailors. Maybe we're not survival mode people either. Maybe we're more like the soldiers, the third group of people in this story. When trouble hits, when a crisis happens, we don't hunker down into survival mode. We recognize that we carry responsibilities. We step up. And those soldiers did the same. They were the ruling forces of the society of that time. They took responsibility in the situation. They took a lead. But they did so only because they were under orders. Only because they were under a kind of compulsion from the army structure that they were a part of. You see, that centurion and those soldiers, they probably don't really want to be making this journey either, do they? But they've been given this task by their commanders, by their emperors, to bring these prisoners to Rome, and that's what they've got to do. And if they break those orders, if they do something different, they're going to get it. They're going to be killed, probably, put to death. They have to follow the protocols and the procedures that they've been given to follow, and they have to be seen to be in charge, and they have to keep order at all times. They have to make all the final decisions. So they take that responsibility But very likely, they take it very reluctantly and very resentfully through gritted teeth kind of thing. And they've got the kind of attitude that says, anyone who's going to make this harder for me than it already is, is going to get it. They're going to get the chop. That grim determination I mentioned earlier. Some of us are like that. You know, these soldiers, their first thought is, we're in a fix, let's kill the prisoners, get rid of them, off the table, (laughs) move on. We're taking responsibility, yeah? We're not running away, we're not hiding, get rid of the prisoners. (laughs) They need to go. And if we're honest, some of us, it's how we respond in a crisis. Yeah, we rise up (laughs) and we do the right thing and we take responsibility, we do what's necessary, we do what's kind of right, but we resent it. Boy, do we resent it inside. We resent that I'm the one who has to step up and other people are not doing what they should be doing. And we think other people should be stepping up more than we have. And we have no love in us whatsoever for the role or the people in it that we're seeking to serve. 
at the end of the day. And so we become willing to just crush anyone who makes life more difficult for us than we already feel it is. And if we don't do that openly, like the soldiers were willing to, we do it inside. We do it inwardly. It's kind of the basil faulty approach to hospitality, isn't it? Yes, you great to change everything. I will serve the guests, but only because I absolutely have to, you know? And we laugh because we recognize it, right? And that's the kind of authority that these soldiers are starting to bring and starting to take. There's no love in there. There's no desire to actually save the souls of those people. What does Paul say? Paul is so different. You know, Paul and Luke, they managed to write down here there were 276 souls on board that boat. They knew every single one. Why? I bet you they'd sat there having prayer meetings every single night during that storm. Lord, save so-and-so, save that one, save this one, save the one whose name I don't remember. They were thinking of every person. Their love in the leadership that they took was evident because Jesus was evident in them. And you know, some of us, when the pressure is on, we get into this place of grim determination and it drives us on, but we end up riding roughshod over anyone who gets in the way, maybe deliberately, but maybe inadvertently, but we just ride over them. But Paul, he shows us it's possible in that moment to bring a leadership that is full of love. It's not just taking responsibility because he has to or because he's following orders. Look at how he spoke to the centurion. He wanted to stop those sailors abandoning ship. He counted all the heads on that boat. He told the people to eat. Now is the moment to eat because he's thinking ahead. We're going to have to swim. So you guys need to eat right now to have the strength to do that. He acted all the time with such a quiet authority that the centurion could see that they needed Paul if they were going to come through this safely. They needed a different kind of leadership to the stuff that he was bringing. He trusted Paul enough to risk the prisoners escaping and not putting them to death like his colleagues were suggesting. It shows us, doesn't it, that when we are in the middle of a crisis, we can go into our different modes. Maybe you're a bit like a prisoner. Maybe you're a bit like a sailor. Maybe you're a bit like one of those soldiers. Maybe you've got a completely different way that you respond. But I want to encourage us all that we can find a response that looks a bit more like Jesus. And maybe if we're looking back over this last few months or maybe a crisis that we're facing now in our lives and maybe if sometimes we're feeling, you know, Lord, I don't always come out of these things very favorably. I want to encourage us that we can start right now to ask the Lord to shape us and teach us and strengthen us and help us to respond in a way that looks more like Jesus. Because you know, Paul, all the way through this story, looks like Jesus. In fact, Luke, when he writes it, he's drawing a deliberate comparison for us. He's using this word salvation several times in the passage. We know that that makes us think of the name of Jesus. 
Paul is even quoting Jesus when he says, not a hair from the head of any of you will perish. That's a direct quote from Luke 21 verse 18 in the Gospels. And even that word pattern as Paul gives thanks for the bread and breaks it, it's exactly the same as we see Jesus doing in Luke 22 verse 19. Luke is deliberately bringing our attention. Look at Paul. Look how much he shines out Jesus. Paul's life echoed Jesus all over the place, even under those most precious and dangerous of circumstances. And he brought strength and encouragement and salvation for those around him. And I don't know about you, but I think there may be some more crises ahead of us in these coming months. I don't know what type. There are big things going on in our world, aren't there? And for many of us, there are big things going on in our lives. But I know that what I do know is I want to be taught by Jesus how to handle it better, how to respond better, to how to respond in a way that releases his Holy Spirit life and encouragement to the people around me and means that we can keep going together. And that's why I want to pray for us now as we close, if you're wanting to pray with me. So let's just be quiet and respond. Lord Jesus, first of all, in our hearts, we just bring before you any troubles or crises that we're facing right now. We just bring them before you. And Lord, we ask that you would meet us in that storm. Please meet us, Lord. Don't let us sink, Lord. We Perhaps some of us feel like Peter going down in the waves. But Lord, you met him. You caught him. Lord, would you catch us if we feel like we're going down? And Lord, right now, just start to breathe your hope. Your promise afresh. Take courage. I've overcome the world. Breathe it into our hearts now, we pray, where we're facing trouble. And Lord Jesus, we now come, we just bring our responses before you. Lord, anything that we recognize in those different groups of people, things we recognize in ourselves, things we're ashamed of, ways we've responded we wish we hadn't, people we've hurt. We bring that before you now. Lord, you understand. You know us. It says in your word that you know we're just dust. You know we feel very weak in these moments. You know that we try to rely on whatever we've got in ourselves. But Lord, we confess now we need you for this crisis. We need you for this journey. We need you. We open our hearts now for your forgiveness, for your washing, for your cleansing, and for a new energy, a new life to come in and help us respond in a new way. And Lord, we ask you now, by your Holy Spirit, would you teach us 
and shape us and mould us so that we look more like you. And so that in the crisis we face tomorrow, we look more like you than we did yesterday. And in the crisis the day after, just that little bit more like you. Lord, that's where you're leading us. And I want to pray, Lord, that as a congregation, we would walk through our troubles together and we would know your salvation bringing us through. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.